So it wasn't that long ago on a Sunday evening during a prayer meeting, the date was May 16th, 2010, that we gathered around the perimeter of this very building and we prayed. And we said, Lord, would you come and would you do something in this place that is significant and powerful? Would your spirit come? We, we prayed in every single room. Uh, we, we gathered around the various rooms throughout this facility and we prayed on the gravel. Remember gravel? Gravel is what? Godly? Remember that? It's still godly, by the way. And we prayed there and we asked God to come and for him to meet with us as he has done so often. Our elders broke ground in an official uh, ceremony, turning that dirt as an emblem of both their leadership and God's faithfulness. And, and then we also gave each of you a little glass vial. Remember that? That you could then take as a family and scoop up some of that dirt and take it home. And, and I have mine still prominently displayed in my office. My kids have it in their bedrooms. And it was just an opportunity for us to be reminded that from this very soil that God was going to do some things in our midst. That a building would emerge based upon your faithfulness and giving and God's graciousness and all that he does. That we are going to have a place to continue the ministry that God has given us here. On the vial was a scripture that we had written, and it sounded like this. Pray that the Master's word will simply take off and race through the country to a groundswell of response just as it did among you. You see, that was our prayer. That is our prayer. A vision of what God could do on this very property for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. And now, friends, here we are some 16 months later on the threshold of a new season of ministry at College Park Church. It's been a remarkable and an amazing journey. God has been so faithful during this season. You as well have been generous and you've continued to give sacrificially, consistently. And and as well, this kind of facility doesn't happen without an amazing group of people who have used their talents and their gifts. Led by Bruce Smith, we have a group of people who you need to thank today when you see them. Bob Horn, Mitch Peterson, Paul Spilker, Stephanie Johnson, Tyler Ritz, and Andrew Cecil led this thing all the way to the point where we are today. Aren't you grateful for them? As well, we've just had a phenomenal relationship with the Aspen Group, many of whom are here today in helping us to arrive to this point, not only designing a facility that fit College Park, but helping us get here on time, on budget, and on mission. And God has just been really, really good to us, friends. Tonight at our Fresh Encounter service, we're going to take every square foot of this facility, and again, we're going to pray over it. We're going to ask God to bless it. We're going to pray over every seat in this sanctuary imagining that God, at some point in time, may use the very seat that you're in to birth someone into the kingdom. And so tonight at 6 o'clock, we'd love to have you come back. You're not going to want to miss this prayer meeting as we just pray all over this building. It's going to be a phenomenal season as we seek the Lord's face again. So a day like today is kind of overwhelming. In fact, it's overwhelmingly good. Because here we have this physical reminder, this building, that's a reminder of God's faithfulness. And I'm thrilled to be able to be here today because what we celebrate is more than just a building. What we celebrate is the work of Jesus in all of our lives. And so that then begs the question, so what, what do you say on a day like today? I've been thinking a lot about this. In fact, some, some moments in biblical history have come to mind. Uh, for instance, When David took the Ark of the Covenant and he brought it into the tabernacle, what a glorious moment that was. Here's what he said. He said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Hmm. 
I don't know about you, but that's how I feel today. Who am I, Lord, and what is my house that you have brought us thus far? Or think of when David, when he was collecting the offering for the temple. Here's what he said. Who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and from your own we have given to you. In other words, God, we're just giving you back your own stuff. Here we are, like little kids, just giving you stuff back. Or think of Solomon at the dedication of the temple, this this grand structure full of the majesty and the glory both of God and the kingdom of Israel. And in the dedication of that, Solomon gets on his knees, he spreads his hands to heaven and says, Oh God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. No God like you. Or think of the Apostle Paul who, reflecting on the beauty of God's grace, and we heard this a couple weeks ago, who in 1 Corinthians 4 said, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer, of course, is nothing. It's crazy, isn't it? Everything you've given to this project, you received it, and you just gave it back. Every construction material, every skill used to build this facility was all a gift from God, all of it. So we sit here today as people who've been unusually blessed, and everything we have, we've received. It's an amazing thing to think about. It's even harder to capture with words, but I think it's important to try. Or or maybe, rather than thinking about what we should say, maybe we ought to think of it this way. Maybe we ought to think, okay, so what should we pray on a day like today? What should we pray? So our text this morning from 2 Thessalonians 2 is a power-packed text with lots of encouragement, lots of instruction, some wonderful truths, but also it has some compelling prayers in it, some things that we ought to pray about. And so standing at the dawn of this new season of ministry at College Park Church, I think it's appropriate, fitting, and I think right for us to ask, what should we pray about on this day? Paul's words to this church were not about a building. They were about ministry. He talks about what they should pray for him and what he would want them to pray, what he was praying for them. And so the target is a new season of ministry. Paul says, here's what I want you to pray for me, and here's what I'm going to pray for you. Now, before we specifically talk to you about what we ought to pray, you need to realize that behind all of this is an undergirding gospel story. In other words, the the backdrop to what Paul is going to pray and the backdrop of this church is the gospel, the good news. You see, the good news, the gospel, is essentially what the church of Jesus Christ is all about, and it's what this church is all about. And the gospel essentially is this, that very simply, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the undergirding message of everything. People change, pastors change, seasons come and go, but the reality is that never changes. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that, my friends, is why this facility exists. This will be the first Sunday that we will declare in this building a simple message, and we will declare this over and over and over and over, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now notice what Paul says about them, this undergirding or backdrop of the gospel. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few observations about the the backdrop of this gospel. Notice first that they are called beloved by the Lord. Paul starts with the fact that they were deeply loved by God. 
It's so beautiful to think how gracious and kind and compassionate God has been to sinful people like you and me. And so this day, just, it just marks another example of how kind and how loving God has been to sinful people like us. We don't deserve this kind of day. We don't deserve to be able to sing the things, the, to sing the things that we've already sung. We, we don't deserve any of it. And it, it ought to well up within you just this thought, oh, how he loves me. So the Bible says you are beloved by the Lord. Secondly, he says that they were chosen as first fruits to be saved. In other words, behind all of the events of their lives and behind all of the events of your life is this sovereign purpose of God. Now, while this is a huge mystery that confounds the mind, in its simplest form, what it means is that nothing in your life happened or happens by accident. Even the fact that you're here today is is no chance. It's no coincidence. Everything has a sovereign purpose to it, and God planned it all. The moment when you understood the gospel and the light bulb went on and you understood, oh, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for my sins, God was orchestrating all of those events for you to hear that and to receive that and to believe that. And so you are here today for a reason. And Paul says to this church, you've been chosen to be the first fruits to be saved. Nothing, nothing is by accident. Further, they were impacted by the spirit and the truth. They were saved and they were made progressively more godly, or the text says through sanctification, by the power of the Holy Spirit as they believed the truth. So there was this intersection of the spirit's power and the truth. And when the spirit and truth combine, there's amazing things that happen. Further, there was a calling on their lives. God had issued a call to them. That call was first to call them to salvation, but then secondly to call them to some area of ministry, that their mission is a church in in the world and in the region of Thessalonica. God had called them to be followers of his son. And then finally it says that their ultimate goal is the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 14. He says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what it's all about. That at the end of the day, the reason we sing and the reason that we're here and the reason we talk about God's word is because it is all about him. To him, to him, to him, the honor and glory. But that's not all that's here because the text not only says that it's to him be all the glory, but it says that you may obtain the glory of Jesus, which means this. That the more progressively you grow in righteousness, the more you become like Jesus, you actually obtain the glory of Jesus. You share, you share in the glory of the resurrected Son. So it's not only that God has forgiven you of your sins, not only He blessed you far more than what you deserve, not only that He sovereignly worked all the events in your life, but you actually, as you grow progressively in righteousness, you share the glory of the resurrected Son. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the backdrop. So keep in mind that God does all of this to rebellious sinners who deserve none of the grace they receive. It's an amazing backdrop, such that we ought to pause on a day like this and just ask ourselves, where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be? Or to think of it this way, what do you have that you didn't receive? Of course, the answer is nothing. Now, it may be that you're here today and in the midst of all this great day, you, you, you're really missing what this day is all about. And so maybe I could boil it down to this very important question. This is a question that all of us have to answer. So, friend, when you die and you stand before a holy God, what will you say about the wrong things that you've done? When you stand before a holy God, what will you say about the wrong? And you know you've done wrong. We've all done wrong. 
What will you say to a holy God about the things that you've done wrong? How will you justify yourself? Will you talk about the home that you were raised in? Will you talk about the church observances that you've kept? Will you talk about the things that that you've done or maybe the things that you haven't done? As though somehow that will justify you in God's presence. The Bible says that even by virtue of the things that you share will only further give evidence that you really are not truly righteous. You see, that's the bad news. The good news of the Bible is that the only answer on that day is that I'm a sinner and I've received Christ and I'm in Him. His death counted for me so that when you stand before God, your only hope is that Jesus wraps His loving arms around you and says, "This this one belongs to me. The gospel, that story, is the backstory. Secondly, there's a call to steadfastness. Paul invites them to realize the importance of perseverance and fidelity. Look at verse 15. He says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. In other words, what Paul is saying to them and also what he's saying to us is that there are some things that as we move into the future that are going to have to change just because over time things change. They do. But there are some things that while everything is changing, some things can't change because not everything should change. As it relates to College Park, there is a doctrinal core, a fundamental identity of who we are that cannot change. So there are some things that should change and can change and some things that should never change. And I know that for some of you, you probably approached this day or maybe you came into here, this worship service, or maybe in the back of your mind, there's a little bit of apprehension. Like, so where, what does this mean and this new facility, where is, where are we headed? I I, I want you to understand that our staff and elders are very aware of that. We're, we're, we feel that as well. Let me help you understand a few things that there are some things that are definitely changing around here. For instance, there are now more seats in the sanctuary. That's changing, all right? Amen. There will be bigger hallways. Our parking lot will be easier to navigate. Folks, we are going to fix the stairway of doom. The carpet in the atrium will actually match... And our check-in process with our children is going to get faster and faster and faster and faster. All of that, I promise you, is changing. Amen? Amen. In a bigger building, you have to say amen louder. Just a clue, okay? So, But as it relates to our doctrine, as it relates to who we are in terms of our core values, as it relates to our desire to reach into our city, to reach unreached people groups around the world, or to boldly proclaim God's word, that is not changing. There are some things that we must hold tightly to, call them good traditions. While many things have to change, there are some things that can never change. And then he calls them in verses 16 and 17 to perseverance in in a different way, to be encouraged. Look at verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and hope and grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. What is he saying? He's saying, look, in light of everything that God is for you in Christ, be encouraged. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep keep pressing forward. Keep on it. Don't quit. Keep going. Be encouraged. You know, we're moving from summer into fall, and pretty soon you'll start to see a, a signature sign that fall is coming in the skies. You'll see geese that begin to head south. 
And in this V formation, you know that they make an awful lot of noise. Now, this image and this concept of geese flying in a V formation is a bit of a nostalgic image for those of you who have been around here for a long time. Because Kimber used a great illustration about this, about what geese do when they fly in a V formation. They honk, don't they? And and scientists tell us that they honk for a number of reasons. For instance, they think that while they're flying in that V formation, they honk in a particular way to tell them, hey, here's a good landing spot. In other words, hey, rest area, right? Let's stop, right? Or, hey, food down below. Or, are you ready for a break at the point? Because I'll switch. But they also believe that when they honk, one of the main things they're doing is simply encouraging one another. Keep flying, keep flying. The one at the point who's cutting the air. Keep flying, keep flying. That honk is an encouragement for them as a group to keep moving forward. So they honk and they honk and they honk because it's an encouragement. Don't quit, don't give up, keep going. And I would tell you that if you've been here just for a few weeks or you've been here for 26 years, you know that there's something that we have to keep going, keep encouraging, keep helping one another to do the honk, so to speak, of geese and say, let's keep moving forward. You know, this place is a been a wonderful place for so many years. And it's just remarkable to me the ways in which God lives out his glory in you. And I just find myself being a a proud pastor a lot. Just this last week, I stopped over at um, one of our local uh, businesses owned by a person in our church, and it was kind of early, but not so early that a shop wouldn't be open. And I went to the door and it was locked. I knocked and peeked in the windows because they were supposed to be there. And after a while, they came to the door and they apologized. They said, sorry, um, we're, we're just wrapping up our, our morning Bible study and prayer time. Would you like to come? And I thought, yes. So I go in their boardroom and, and there's all their employees around, Bibles open, just wrapping up a prayer time. And I thought, amen. Unbeknownst to me is a family in our church, is a small business, and they're leading their employees in prayer. And I was, I walked out of that building, <clears throat> a proud pastor. A few weeks ago, I received a note from um, someone who'd called in from our uh, receptionist, and a person had called in and, and said that they just wanted us to know that express gratitude to a couple in a white van who had stopped and helped them when they ran out of gas at 96th and Keystone. Apparently, the family in our church gave them the church's card, but not their name, and she just called to say thank you. As a proud pastor. You see, that's the sort of thing I want you to keep doing, to realize that living out the gospel is not something that we do just in the context of 96th in town. Your your real ministry, friends, happens outside in the world, in the marketplace, where you make the name of Jesus glorious and where you make his name known by how you conduct yourselves. So keep going, keep encouraged, keep doing all of those things. So then Paul lists six things that we could pray, six things that we could say, God, would you help us? Here's the first one from verse 1. First of all, we are to pray. And this is what I ask you would pray for us as a church. Pray that the word would spread. Verse 1. Pray that the word would spread. This, this resonates within my heart, and I trust in yours as well. The prayer is simply that the word of God would just take off. That it would spread to every place that doesn't have it. That it would spread to every tribe and nation and tongue. That it would spread to every home and every heart. And the prayer here is for a supernatural explosion of the Word of God. That it would just spread and reach people. To, to, to happen like what happened in historical movements called revivals. Where in not that distant history, 10,000 people a week came to faith in Christ as the Word spread like wildfire. That can happen again if we ask and pray and seek. 
To be able to dream of other unreached people groups, like they already mentioned, in Pakistan. I mean, imagine, I love this statement, this for that, yes, pray that the word would spread. Since I've been here, I've held in my hands the first copy of the Bible to the Azeri people that we were a part of. I've, I've been on the porch of a Christian school in northern India, the first witness in that area in a century. And I've been in a house churches in the Caspian region of people, a small enclave of believers trying to make it in an environment that's incredibly repressive. We need to pray, friends, that the word would spread. Secondly, we need to pray that the word would be honored. This request is not only that it would spread, but that it would be felt for its power. Like Acts 13, where the people that Poseidon Antioch glorified the word of God. Where it is this sense that the word comes and people's hearts are smitten, they're broken, that they feel the weight of, this is not just a word, this is the word. Like what happens in Jeremiah 23, 29, where God's word is described like a fire, like a hammer that breaks hearts in pieces and then can be rebuilt. Pray that the word would be received with the power that it deserves. Third, pray that we would be protected. Paul says something very interesting in verse 2. He says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Here, Let's just be honest, we live in a dark and post-Christian world. And we need to be reminded that for all of the good that this day feels like, friends, we are in a war. And we have created, not a cruise ship, but a battleship. And there's a world of difference. Our aim is not to have you just be comfortable so you can enjoy the accommodations. But rather our aim is to train you so you can go out into the thick of the battle. And if necessary, to give your life for the cause of Christ. We also have to realize that the enemy loves to use people. And Paul says, pray that we would be delivered from evil people. Here's the crazy thing, is that the enemy uses people to do his work, and usually those people whom he uses doesn't even know that they're being used. In fact, they often think they're doing God's work. And the reality is a church of any size has evil people within it. I mean, you're here, right? (laughs) And we all know our hearts. And in some cases, those hearts get sideways, and we need to pray, God, deliver us from evil people and from the evil within. We need to pray for spiritual protection over this ministry. The the more exposure, the more opportunity, the more impact, the bigger the target. Pray that our membership process would do and continue to do a great job of screening out the wrong people, because not everybody who wants to join College Park should. We need to be sure that a person knows what the gospel is and they understand what it means to become a part of a church and also pray for our discipline committee as they work with people who refuse to obey the word and live as if they can deal with the word as if it is something trifle or can be obeyed selectively and thereby defiling the name of Christ. So pray that we would know how to be protected. Fourth, Paul says, pray that we would learn to trust God. The text says in verse 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So pray that we would trust God, meaning that we would have confidence and that we would keep trusting in Jesus. Do you know that discouraging people who are faint at heart, they infect other people negatively? You ever been around somebody, you're trying to do something great for the Lord, and your friend is like, we can't do it. 
We can't, it's going to hurt, it's going to be hard. And you're like, go home, pal. Just so you know, when you tell someone to go home, you are spot on biblical. Deuteronomy, a chapter verse, Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. When a, when a troop was going off to battle, the officers were to ask the troops, hey, anybody who's fearful or faint-hearted, go home. And here's why. Lest they make the heart of his fellows melt like his. So what do we need? Not some sort of bravado. We can do anything. Not that. But instead to say, you know what? We can trust the Lord. We believe that Jesus can turn that marriage around. Jesus can actually resolve the conflict. Jesus can bring somebody out of their addiction. Jesus can show up and save somebody if simply the person lets them. And so our confidence isn't in ourselves, but it's in Jesus. And therefore, let us pray that we would learn to trust him. Fifth, this is so important, pray that we would be obedient. It seems so simple, but it's so critical. The fifth thing that Paul says is pray that that you would do and that you will do in the future the things that God commands. So listen, friends, this is really important. Our influence in the city is on the line with this matter. Because in all seriousness, you can undo with your life what we try and do on Sunday. We need to pray that we would not be known in this community just as a large church. I don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as a holy church. I don't want to be known for all the programs that we have. I want to be known as a pure church. I don't want to be known for all of the stuff that we offer or how friendly we are. As important as that is, I want to be known as a church filled with people who are alive with obedience. Let's be known as a church that is not perfect. Oh, imperfect people welcome here because we are all imperfect. But let us at least, God helping us, be known as a church that is real. About a month ago, I received a note from a woman who stopped by the church office. And she just, she wanted to encourage us. And boy, did she. Here's what she wrote. Three members of this church, three men, were at a Bob Evans restaurant on 96th Street sometime between now and February 2010. Just so you know, We're watching you, okay? So just so you know. The three guys were having a conversation. I was at a table near to them, and I kept hearing, Lord, Lord, mentioned several times in the conversation. Then they had group prayer at their table, not just a meal blessing prayer, but actual prayer. At the time, I had just been diagnosed with severe heart disease. I was 37. My heart was functioning at 10%, and I had to stop working. I had a three-year-old, and I was generally overwhelmed, and I asked the men to pray with me. It was a calming and an encouraging prayer. And as of this summer, my heart is normal, and I just wanted to say thanks for the prayer. Isn't that awesome? And thanks to the three men, whoever you are, who did that in the context of Bob Evans' restaurant. Well, the person, her name is Keisha, and she put her phone number at the end of the note. And I said, you know what, I'm going to call this woman. So I did. And I called her and heard her story. And then I said, Keisha, would you mind coming to Sunday morning worship? I'd love to introduce you to our people. And so she came. I'd like to introduce you to Keisha. Keisha, would you stand here? Now, now Keisha's here from eight all the way to the, the all, all three services. So, so, you, and I said, I said, hey, Keisha, just you know, it's going to be a long day. And she smiled and she laughed and she said, oh, Pastor, don't worry about it. I go to church all day. I'm Pentecostal, so no problem. So, yeah, <laughs> Amen. But I'll tell you, friends, in that moment, listen to me. I was a proud pastor. I was a proud pastor. Be obedient. 
And finally, that we would learn to live in the love of God. It's so simple, but this, this is the end game, friends. It is that we would bask in the sunlight of God's love, that we would come to learn how much he loves us. When we sing about his love, when we talk about his love, when we see his love expressed in the cross, that we come to know how much he loves us. And the more and more we grow in his love and understanding of his love, you know what happens? We grow roots that are deeper and deeper and deeper, such that when storms and difficulties come, we're not blown over, don't make shipwreck of our faith. And so the end game is for us to experience the beauty and the fullness of what it means to know, oh, how you love me and why. So this is what I long for, and I know this is what you long for as well, and this is what I'm asking you to pray for. This is a remarkable day for our church. This is worth taking some time and reflecting, because there are a few moments in the history of God's church and in the history of Israel where they opened and dedicated new space, and this is one of those times for us. And you know, I know, God has been so faithful. The gospel is the backdrop. Steadfastness is what we long for. And there are some things for us to cling to and pray over because today marks the first day of who knows how many Sundays until Jesus comes where the glorious transforming message that Jesus and him crucified will be declared from this very spot. And therefore, I think we ought to do what David did. This beautiful thought of how unbelievably blessed we have been by God. Would you say this with me as just our statement to the Lord? Let's say this together. Who am I, O Lord, and what is College Park that you have brought us thus far? Who are we? What is this church that you have brought us thus far? Oh, Father, thank you that in your mercy, in your kindness, in your unbelievable love, you have poured out to us only the gospel through Christ, but great mercy that extends to every arena of our lives. We're so grateful that we are here and that you show us over and over again how much you love us. We don't deserve any of it, and yet here we are. So God, receive our offering of praise and hear our grateful hearts today as we just marvel in your great faithfulness keep us true to who we are keep us true to your word keep us pure faithful and holy and keep us ever learning what it means to love you under the authority and the power of your resurrected son in whose name we pray amen